To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Hello, everyone. I'm Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. Our special guest today is Miss Emily Nonka. She's a freelance reporter based in Brooklyn, New York, writing about urban policy. She contributes regularly to the nonprofit news publication Next City, where she wrote a story about the growing role of social workers in the public libraries. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I saw your article and I read with a lot of interest uh, how you spent so much time providing details of what's been sweeping the country as a growing phenomenon, and that is using social workers uh, in the library. But I also noticed while I was perusing your website that you have a quite a long and extensive history of being a very polished and accomplished journalist. So what's your journalism background, and how did you come to write about urban policy? Um, well, thanks for the compliment. I've been doing journalism for a while now and been a freelancer for about five or six years. I started writing about New York real estate and architecture, of all things, uh, as the New York local media landscape reduced. I started looking at um, more national coverage that I could be doing, and I settled as at Next City as a contributor. And Next City is a sort of wonderful place that's looking at, uh, I would say, uh, solutions-oriented stories in cities around the country. And the topics often intersect with uh, issues social workers are probably interested in, housing, homelessness, uh, this issue with uh, social workers in the library, um, all sorts of kind of topics I get to delve into weekly. That's a very interesting. And um, why do you enjoy writing about urban policy? I find that because we have so many people that are interested uh, in living in cities now, uh, it sort of is a testing place for a lot of these big questions we have of how we can live equitably, uh, healthy, in diverse neighborhoods and affordable neighborhoods. So all these stories I ta- uh, tackle in different cities around the country often resonate uh, with people that might not be living in the same place but are dealing with similar urban issues. I see. Um, and, and there's a lot to uh, tackle with what you just said. But very interesting that you do a segment um, in some of your publications that's dealing with social justice, that's a topic that's very close and near and dear to all of us in the social work profession. But in particular, I'd like to know, how did you find out about the increased role of social workers in libraries? Based in New York, uh, writing national stories, I'd say I'm always scouring local news, Twitter, uh, trying to find out what people are talking about and are interested in. And honestly, I can't remember exactly what led me to this story. I'm sure it was either a bit of news probably coming out of the San Francisco library system dealing with their social workers. And I just remembered kind of delving in and realizing what an interesting, um, important role for social workers that I didn't know existed. And I saw that it told a deeper story of the role of libraries, where social workers could be a part of, uh, and that also was happening around the country. So immediately yes. I thought this could be a really powerful story. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, a lot of 
what's been happening going on around the country is also taking place here, uh, right here on Long Island. I know for a fact uh, Stony Brook University School of Social Welfare, they're actually placing interns in a lot of the local libraries to address those issues that tend to come up. Now, the other thing that's very interesting is that the library has always been seen as a community center, uh, a hub for information, um, but also for a lot of people, it presents itself as a safe space, someplace that's safe to come. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people come in and they bring with them a lot of issues that the general public may not know about. And it's very interesting that libraries are now starting to try to reach out to those who may have some challenges and struggles that they're not willing to talk about or maybe a little embarrassed to talk about. So you did a lot of uh, interesting uh, writing on the story. So who did you reach out to in order to report on this story? Well, I reached out to the San Francisco Public Library. It made the perfect sense to be a place to reach out to people who may need services. And then I found out that the Denver Public Library was highly uh, influenced by what San Francisco had done. And so I reached out to them to look at both the history of how these programs came to be as well as what they were doing right now, um, the successes, the struggles, uh, and where the social work program was currently at. Uh, And then I sort of contextualized it within the broader trend. This is happening around the country. But my two focuses were, let's look at the early uh, innovators in this space and what the program has meant in these past few years as they've developed it. So the other point that that I'd like to kind of add to that is you mentioned early innovators. And the field of social work has always been a field of innovation. Uh, We've constantly been recreating ourselves to meet and serve needs of the public as they become known to us. The the, the Enoch Pratt Free Library in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, was just featured on Good Morning America, uh, and they did a segment on libraries as one of the nicest places in the country, and then it kind of segued right into social workers being employed in the library. And the thing that became very obvious was that social workers were in there making a profound impact and difference in the lives of many people. And had it not been for a story like uh, Good Morning America, had, had it not been for stories like yours, a lot of people wouldn't even realize the impact that social workers are having on the community at large through the library system. So the, the next question I'd like to you know ask you are what are examples of social work in libraries that you wrote about? Well, the San Francisco Public Library, their social work team in the beginning started in bathrooms because bathrooms often were a contentious space uh, that people might have been doing drugs or washing up if they were homeless. And previously, there were only security guards. And so if a security guard was dealing with Uh, someone in the bathroom, it would be a very different experience than if that were a social worker, that often those people would just get kicked out of the library. So uh, that team started with bathrooms, and then as the outreach was successful, they expanded uh, into all the spaces of the library and then expanded to different uh, branches of the library. Uh, And Denver's also had expanded, started kind of small in the main branch of the Denver Public Library and was able to gradually expand. Uh, The work that they were doing was 
really broad, actually. Basically, a big part of it was just listening to the needs of the people uh, that, that were in the library, and maybe it meant assistance with housing. In Denver, there was an example of a need for crisis housing, uh, women who needed to be in crisis housing, um, often for treatment for substance abuse, uh, job help. Uh, really, the idea was to provide any, be good listeners, and then provide any type of services or, or assist in connecting that person to those services uh, in a safe space like a library. Okay. And they, they, they also work really hard from, you know, your article and other articles that I've read and researched, they work really hard to, to remove the stigma that someone might come in with to be ashamed or bashful or embarrassed to ask for help. Um, right. And I think it's great that they're trying to create a, an environment and an atmosphere where they're making it known that there's help that you can get here in the library. And I think that role will lend itself to even more and more social workers uh, having a role to play. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in the article uh, that you wrote, there was some mention about um, the library that you, you mentioned and referenced, they, they talked about HASAs. Yes. Yeah, so tell our listeners a little bit about what you learned about HASAs. So HASAs are Health and Safety Associates, uh, and in, that's in San Francisco Public Library. In Denver Public Library, the title is Peer Navigators. And why I loved both of these programs is what they had done as they expanded is people that they had outreached in the library and successfully connected with services had become, were invited to be part of the social work program in the library. So the people who had been serviced by social workers then could serve the library and serve other people who needed it uh, in the library system. So the idea was empowering people uh, who had been serviced in the library, giving them job opportunities, uh, and creating a program around the people who best knew what the experience was like um, to, to be in a library and, and need someone to help you out. Oh, that's very interesting. And, and, and the, the fact that, you know, I read with amazement uh, the fact that people who used to come to the library and use the resources then became hostas and came back and they reached out to those. And I've always said that it's, most important that a person have some knowledge and experience of a situation, a population to be most effective. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, a person who, you know, has a compassionate heart uh, can't be effective, but there's no greater help or assistance for someone who's in need or struggling or having a challenge than someone else who's actually been through what they're going through because they bring a certain higher level of understanding and a greater degree of compassion. And I think that's really how I see the library kind of, uh, you know, morphing into this entity in the community that says, if you're having problems, come to us and we can help. Yeah. It also reduced the stigma of people that had been serviced in the library becoming a part of the uh, library ecosystem, that you have librarians, social workers, the HASAs, everyone, and even security guards, everyone was working in tandem with one another. Mm. So what were your big takeaways from reporting this story? Well, 
I think it speaks to a larger issue in that we have less and less social safety nets uh, here in our country, and particularly in cities, it's gotten much harder uh, to live as uh, housing gets more expensive, our homelessness crisis deepens all around the country. Um, and so the result is that social work and outreach work has had to happen in unexpected places, and it's just been a matter of identifying what those places are. Uh, the library, because it's such a safe space, was a no-brainer. And the idea that someone believed in the library, uh, the San Francisco Public Library, believed that this could be a space for outreach, had invested in the program, and it's actually inspired so many others, I think was just uh, kind of the most important thing I took away, is that this is something that really works. Mm -hmm. Uh, We should talk about it. We should support it. Uh, Not that it just works. It just makes perfect sense. That's yes. kind of what everyone in this story was saying. It's the perfect place to be doing this type of work. Exactly. And, and it's also a very humane way to outreach, uh, very compassionate um, in a very caring way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that they alluded to in the uh, Good Morning America piece, uh, Robin Roberts, uh, she she was the one that started the, I believe she was the one that started the uh, the initiative that's called The Nicest Places uh, in America. And one of the things that they said about, you know, the whole premise was there needed to be more caring and compassion and outreach and concern for those who are struggling. And so it made perfect sense that a library would be highlighted and featured. Mm-hmm. And, and then as a matter of fact, that piece just won a media award with the National Association of Social Workers for the best TV program, which highlighted the role of social workers. So I think that that in and of itself, plus the fact that you as a freelance journalist were attracted to this story because of the human element. And I think mm-hmm. that's really what the, the biggest issue is, the human element and how this can change somebody's life forever and then they go back and in that ripple effect they come back and they help to change somebody else's life. So what was the response to the story after it was published? So this got a great response. This was one of uh, the most popular stories that ran on Next City that week and actually really reverberated past the publication date where it just kind of popped up that someone had uh, read it and it really resonated with them. And I think because it ties into uh, that communities really love having Libraries, and it's such a part of uh, a neighborhood and a community. It welcomes everybody. And so it really goes along with people's ideas of what a library should be. So there was a lot of support and excitement of. Uh, of yes, of course, we would want to have social workers in this space. And the you know the the whole premise is that this becomes something that in the story with the Good Morning America, they stated that. We've always known that you can go to libraries and get a book or, you know, take out a video. But people sometimes just go to the library just to be okay, just to feel Mm -hmm. okay. Um, And now you can go to the library and get help with your resume. You can go to the library and get help filling out a form that you may not understand. You can go to the library. Um, and one of the stories that I that I researched also was, uh, and, and I'm, I can't call the name right off the top of my head, another one of the libraries uh, around the country, they're actually thinking about build, building affordable housing right mm-hmm. in a space mm-hmm. above the library itself. And so, you know, the combination of uh, libraries in the community and social workers being employed in libraries and freelance journalists like yourself writing about this, I think will go a long way towards 
publicizing what is going to be a very important part of how do we take care of those who are struggling and who are less fortunate. Pretty soon, our demonica might be. Let's go to the library. Right. Okay. I hope so. So do you know of other libraries with similar programs? So this is now in at least 30 libraries around the country. I know the Chicago Tribune wrote about the programs happening around Chicago in 2018. They have a great article about that I'd recommend checking out. Uh, and, and yes, so you'll see it in different places around the country. It's here in New York, as you mentioned. I know um, in Brooklyn there's an example as well. Uh, so it's definitely catching on. It's not a kind of one-hit wonder that this is something that you're seeing expand. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting that you mentioned Brooklyn. I'm a, you know, a native Brooklynite. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, uh, back uh, in my days at Brooklyn College, where I'm a, a graduate back in 1997, we used to call it P-Rob, which still stood for the People's Republic of Brooklyn (laughs) and I actually did some uh, communicating with uh, the Brooklyn Public Library so do you know of any programs that they're initiating um, as of yet? I, you know, this is another example of response to the story because someone at the Brooklyn Public Library did reach out to me and let me know we do have a, a program happening at, with BPL because I had unfortunately done the story already. I wasn't able to delve into it, um, but it's on my radar for hopefully future coverage because it's great to kind of follow the progress of all of these different programs. Absolutely, and, and they have a huge library hub uh, mm-hmm. There in Brooklyn, and I'm sure that they'll be able to bring a lot of positive change within this type of program. Uh, so, so then, what, in your opinion, are challenges in bringing social workers into the library? I would say funding was probably the biggest, and you know, I think just funding libraries in general is a um, it's a huge challenge uh, that libraries and librarians just don't get enough money to do the important work that they do. So there was some creativity in funding and uh, advocating for funding both in Denver and San Francisco. I know in Chicago they have a different program in which a nonprofit hospital funds the social workers that work in some of the libraries. So you have to get creative. It's not that the money is just waiting to be spent. It requires a good deal of advocating. And like I mentioned earlier about reducing the stigma, mm-hmm. it does do s- require some work in um, reducing the stigma around uh, patrons of the library who might otherwise have been seen as a nuisance or ignored or escorted out by security guards. Um, It's a total shift in mindset of these are the patrons we need to reach out to and embrace and help and invest in. I think that's a great training ground for Mm -hmm. someone who wants to go into community service to actually work in a library to see firsthand how people come in with a lot of issues and one of the interesting things that I read um, in your article was that you know they have to be very careful about how they you know gather the information because you still want to protect individuals privacy and confidentiality right. and so that the you know something that social workers you know, we talk about that on a regular basis about you know being confidential and you know not letting information get out that doesn't need to get out but you know that 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 puts it in a in a in a frame of let's help the people who need help um, while at the same time protecting their privacy right. and their confidentiality and their pride and their dignity as well 
And I think it's another important point that this is work that librarians are just not trained to do. Librarians are trained in library science, and previously they just didn't know how to approach this. When you bring a social worker in who's trained in all these things that you say, they can move forward with support in the right way, respecting privacy, connecting people with services in a way that librarians, that's just not the scope of their position. Exactly. And also, you know, I think you you couldn't find a better combination of two professions um, because uh, librarians are by nature of their training and their education, they're, they're information specialists, they're mm-hmm. information scientists. They, they know how to find the information. Social workers, one of our most required skills and competencies is being able to have a bevy of resources at our fingertip to address any issue that we might find in the clients that we work with on a regular basis. So what a better way to have those resources and also the librarians being able to be that wealth of information, the social worker being that uh, resource to be able to disseminate those resources because resources are only as good as the people that you get to be able to take advantage of them. So I think right. that's that's a, a real great combination. Um, so why are libraries crucial public spaces within a city? I mean, I just think that libraries are some of the most radical spaces in America because they're truly public. They're for everyone, and every community has one. I was just at my library actually yesterday, and every time I go in, I'm just amazed at, you know, I, I, I live in a gentrifying neighborhood of Brooklyn where there's a lot of conversations around the future of the neighborhood and you go to the library and it's still a place where every resident is welcomed, has resources, uh, and can be helped. Uh, So I think preserving those spaces is so important, especially the the true publicness of this space and the true safety you get walking into a library. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how does this story tie into your other reporting work? And you've done uh, quite a bevy of uh, different types of uh, reporting, which, you know, I'd like to talk to you about in just a few minutes. But how does this story tie in to your, your general reporting? I would say that, you know, I hadn't really thought about it as much uh, before, but I do believe the the goals of social work and the intersections of social work in so many different places is something that I'm, I'm always interested in. I'm always kind of covering. Uh, so I've covered everything from criminal justice reform to affordable housing, homelessness, substance treatment. Uh, all, as I mentioned, all these things that play out in every single city, and we have so many people looking for solutions toward them. So my gift is that I get to talk to the people that are actually Actually, really working at solutions uh, and and trying to figure out what's the best way to to address these sort of issues that many many cities across the country are struggling with. Wow, that that that's 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 so profound that you mentioned that. Uh, you you everything that you mentioned, every aspect that you you could have written on or that you've written on or that you know that there's information about that touches on all the fields of social work. So I think at this point we're going to dub you Emily Nonka as an honorary social worker. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what an honor. <laughs> uh, um, so what, what other stories are you working on? And I'm going to kind of segue into some stuff that caught my eye. Okay. Um, I will say just fi- finished a major piece profiling the work of the San Quentin Newsroom. That's a newsroom operated out of San Quentin State Prison in California. Uh, in doing amazing work in reporting 
around uh, criminal justice reform and what life is like incarcerated, which I think that we have certain uh, preconceived notions about. And when we create new media narratives around it can be a powerful thing to experience. And I'm currently working on a story about um, a group of students at Harvard who started a youth-to-youth shelter system uh, in Harvard Square and are now working to expand that the shelter system and look to bring it to more college campuses. So it's kind of really exciting innovation and how students getting to get involved in tackling the homelessness crisis. Wow. And uh, also, I, I know that you, uh, you've done a couple of pieces um, that fall under the uh, social justice uh, my, uh, banner mm-hmm. on your website. And there was one interesting that caught my eye, and that was uh, Raise the Age. So t- tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yes. So Raise the Age, and I'm. it's funny because I'm working on a Raise the Age story in New York about raising the age for incarcerated. This story was for the Village Voice, different Raise the Age story about um, youth entering the shelter system. And New York was trying to raise the age so that I believe when youth were hitting age 18, they were going into the adult shelter system. Um, and a lot of these young people have LGBTQ backgrounds. Um, and for them, sometimes going to the youth shelter system can be a really scary uh, uh, situation. And the idea was let's keep them in the youth shelter system for a longer period of time. And, and better prepare them uh, to transition into adulthood and secure jobs and housing. And actually, as I was writing that, it was pretty cool because the legislation did pass uh, to raise the age. Um, and so that was really by the very hard work and advocacy from the young people themselves. Yes. And a lot of the, the social workers, the providers mm-hmm. who had really supported those young people and had been providing housing services for them. And, and it's funny because when I first saw the title Raise the Age, I said, hey, wait a minute, that's something that NASW New York State Chapter has been working on. And mm-hmm. then I, I realized there was a different Raise the Age. But the, the the concept is that young people, sometimes they kind of get lost in the shuffle, yeah. in the bureaucratic shuffle. And it's very interesting because they have a lot to say. And one of the things that I've learned in working with adolescents is we have to start listening to them. Absolutely. You know? and, I, and I thought it was so profound that when you wrote your article on raising the age that somebody can stay in a youth shelter, that the people who protested and articulated their needs were actually the young people who were being affected. Uh-huh. And it was so interesting that in the article you stated that they, they, they got together and they went to City Hall to right. protest and then they found that they couldn't because they didn't have a yeah. <laughs> They didn't have the proper <laughs> permit, but, you know, you get creative. They found a place to protest anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, I could see that's something that, uh, you know, social workers obviously would be on the forefront of, just like we were on the forefront of raising the age of criminal responsibility. Mm-hmm. So you said that you, you, you may be doing a little piece on that as well? So I am working on a piece about this uh, sort of it's kind of a different uh, reporting process when you're working with people who are incarcerated. It just takes a longer time and trust building is really important. But I uh, am very troubled by New York's raise the age legislation doesn't address uh, retroactively young people who are incarcerated in the adult system at ages as young as 16. Uh, So you have a lot of young people who are now in this adult system 
system. Uh, and though we have legislation affecting future young people and keeping them in youth systems, it's not doing anything for for the youth that are already most impacted. So my hope is to really get the voices of these young people and understand what they've gone through, how they ended up in the system at a young age. And like you're saying earlier, it's really powerful to just talk to young people, give them the space to tell them your their experiences, because I'm always blown away by how they kind of understand the world and their place in it and just find that the political systems don't really respect that uh, or give them space to be youth who are figuring out who they are in the world. Exactly. And, you know, and the political system will have to uh, start paying attention because these are very savvy young people today mm-hmm. and they have an indispensable tool at their disposal, which is social media. Yep. And they can go on there and they have been very creative and articulating what they're worried and concerned about. Just recently, you know, I was fortunate to have a uh, article published uh, nationally about youth from the Smithtown Youth Bureau and uh, um, Suffolk Community College. They did a PSA on some of the things that were affecting young people, such as peer pressure, underage drinking, marijuana use, and vaping. (laughs) And we know vaping is a huge, huge problem Mm -hmm. in the uh, adolescent and the teenage community and the preteen community. So these young people, they went to their uh, administrators that run the organizations, and they said, hey, listen, we have some issues that are affecting all of us. We're seeing it every day. We want to get messages out to encourage people to stay away from it, and you know, we were able to accomplish that. So I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's great to just kind of listen to them, but we also need to you know, encourage them to use the tools at their disposal because when they get passionate about something, you know, they, they can make make a lot of changes and we've seen that so I'm glad to see that you highlighted how they took the mantle to push this uh, raise the age of uh, how long they can stay in the uh, youth shelters because once they transition into the adult shelters as I think you pointed out in your article they tend to get lost in the shuffle well any other last points that you'd like to cover uh, before we wrap up well it's been wonderful to be here and it's just so excellent to see all these intersections between between social work, journalism, the work I do. And I am such a big believer in highlighting uh, solutions-oriented work that I know that social workers are often working towards and not appreciated for. Uh, I think you mentioned social media earlier. We have such a powerful mode of sharing stories and sharing proposed solutions, and not just the solutions, but also what hasn't worked and the failures. And that makes for a really powerful uh, uh, kind of place to move forward in something as simple as putting a social worker into a library. Absolutely. And you you mentioned social media, and that's how I actually found your story. It came across Mm -hmm. my Twitter feed, and I think that's really powerful that, you know, we have that at our our disposal. Um, So um, we're going to wrap things up, and we'd like to thank our guests, uh, Ms. Emily Nonka, freelance reporter, uh, nationally published, and excellent writer. Um, You can find some of her work at uh, www.emily 
emilynonka.com. If you'd like to reach her at email, it's hello at emilynonka.com. And she's certainly on Twitter, (laughs) at emilynonka. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.